Hello and welcome back to episode four of the Coaches Coffee Club. Uh, today we are joined by a good friend of mine, Ryan May. Ryan is head of coach development at Aston Villa. Before we introduce Ryan and get talking to Ryan, a um, couple of things. First of all, a massive thank you to everyone who's downloaded, shared, commented, liked the podcast. We're closing in on 3,000 listens already, which is fantastic. So keep spreading the word. Really appreciate everyone's support. Hopefully you're finding it informative and useful. I know selfishly I am. It's good to talk football with people in the game. I'm sure you'll enjoy today's episode. Before again we introduce Ryan, uh, just a quick note, uh, something I've been using lately is uh, Pitch. Pitch is uh, our sponsor. What Pitch is, is a startup business which is aimed at players and coaches. Coaches, it's an opportunity to view talent um, across the age groups, different um, levels. Players, it's an opportunity to update your uh, CV online, video clips, physical data. Um, it's excellent for coaches for helping with an additional exit strategy. There's the option for cl- clubs to pick up players once they've been uh, released from their previous team. But uh, also for players, it's an extra psychological buffer. It can give them that second shot that they may need. So get yourself over to pitchrmt.com. Have a look. If you're a coach, see what players are on there. If you're a player, get your details on there and hopefully there'll be an opportunity to link up with a number of coaches and scouts around the UK. All of the the guests that we've had on the show are on there, myself included. So um, for more information, get yourself on to www.pitchrmt.com. Let me say good morning to my fourth guest on the show. Sorry it's took this long, Ryan. Ryan May, Head of Coach Development at Aston Villa. Morning, mate. Morning, how are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Perfect, thanks, Beth. Yeah, loving it. Appreciate you joining us today. So uh, we're going to have a chat today around match day coaching. So the role of the coach on a a Saturday or Sunday, predominantly, or evenings if those players are working in senior or or under-18 football at at times. But before we get into that, Ryan, can you give us a quick introduction to, to yourself, what your current role is, and some of the previous roles you may have had that have led you to where you are today? Yeah, um, exciting times for me. I'm just about to start a new role at Aston Villa Football Club uh, as head of coach development. Um, prior to that, uh, I'm just leaving West Brom as head of coaching. Um, I suppose my coach development background stretches a bit further back in that, in the fact that uh, I was in the FA as a youth coach developer, uh, working within the professional game, going into clubs, providing in-situ support. Um, prior to that, I was uh, again at West Brom um, as a coach, full-time coach in the academy. Um, stretching even further back, I was slightly further north uh, in Scotland working for uh, Glasgow Rangers as a sort of senior development officer. Um, and going right back to the very beginning, uh, I started at uh, Chelsea as a development officer working in the community. Fantastic. So... Plenty of experience, plenty of match days, uh, whether you're in a coaching capacity or or a sort of a development capacity. So really excited to, to chat about this today. Um, I guess one of my first questions would be, when it comes to match day, what are your thoughts or experiences on, on what <coughs> match you should be focusing on? Whether that be uh, a Saturday or a Sunday, competitive, non-competitive, what, what should the coaches be looking at when that whistle goes? Um, I suppose it depends on wants and needs, Lee, really. It's um, 
I suppose within our spectrum of football, there's there's many different um, reasons why people turn up on a match day. Uh, for some people, it will just be purely fun uh, and just participation. Some people, it will be about winning. Uh, other people, it will be about performance. Other people, it will be about development. So it very much depends on um, the, the makeup of the environment that you're in. Uh, one of the things I think is really important is you all have wants and needs as a coach because rightly or wrongly, we're, we're in it for a reason as well. Whether you're paid or you're amateur, there's a reason why you turn up. Um, but also then it's, it's trying to understand the wants and needs uh, of the players that uh, are with you um, and making sure that those two wants and needs are complementary and don't clash. And, and how, might, how might coaches go about, um, I guess, highlighting or, or finding out what those wants and needs are and then turning them into, into <coughs> say, markers of success for a match day? Well, let's, so let's take uh, some of the different levels. So if we take a, a grassroots team um, and within the foundation phase, for me, you just got to ask your players what they're there for. So I, I'd imagine a lot of your responses would be around that it's about fun, it's about socialising, it's about being with their friends maybe learning new skills. So those wants and needs, you build into your match day outcomes because at the end of the day, it's just another session in the week um, and it's probably the most enjoyable session for them because it's the one that they, they want to play. Um, if you then moved on to maybe an academy environment, again, take the foundation phase just as a simple ex uh, example, um, they're still there for fun. They're still there for socialising because the characteristics of the age and the boys or the girls that are playing, they all want to be there for the same reasons. Um, but there's a different want and need then thrown into the mix because it's a, it's a learning environment for development. So therefore, there'll have to be uh, some extra parameters placed upon that the, the boys and girls understand that that's one of the reasons why they're there for as well, as well as retaining the fun elements. Um, but you can also get some teams within the grassroots areas that actually... You know, sometimes when you get that little grassroots team, you probably played for one league that over a few years, by the time, but under 11, under 12 sort of age groups, they, they've got some good players and, and they've become actually quite competitive and they're in a, a relatively good standard in a decent league. So, yes, they still I, want I to never play. never for one of those, mate. I couldn't get in those squads. <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but, but, you know, I mean, they want to win and it's, yeah, it's yeah. The, the, the element of competition now becomes a little bit more important for, for the players and bits and pieces through the door. So I think all the time it's about communication. It's about making sure that you understand that there's, I suppose, three elements to it. There's you, the coach, uh, and the club. There's the players themselves. And obviously there's these wonderful things called parents that stand on the side as well, um, who, who obviously are the, are the gatekeepers because they bring the children there and, and they have an opinion as well. So it's making sure that you have clarity on what you want your match day and your match day philosophy to be. What do you stand for? What does the club stand for? What do people want? Um, and then obviously making sure that's communicated across all parties and that all parties are listened to. Mm. So so you, you mentioned there, I mean, this this could potentially be a another topic for another podcast on another day, but you, you spoke around competitiveness or, dare I say it, winning. Um what, what are you, yeah. what, not, not Don't be afraid what, to say it, Lee. Nothing yeah, wrong with winning. No, not what, not necessarily. What are your thoughts on it? But if, if for example, that is, um, you mentioned the the team that whether it be a, a competitive competition or they've got to a level where the the players, staff, parents, they're actually they're at a level where they want to start to try and win. How how would a coach? Do you have any tips for coaches that are in that environment? How can they? 
what sort of is a marker of success just did we win or did we lose or is there probably more levels to it than that what are your thoughts around around that Again, per- personally for me, I think some of the time, again, and I think it has to be linked to personality because Ryan May's opinion isn't the right opinion. It's just my one. Um, I-, I think sometimes it's about making sure that you've got a balance. Don't over-celebrate highs and don't get too down about lows. Try and keep a, a consistency uh, of emotions. Um, but listen, I- I've not yet met a child, and my two at home are, are the same. They all want to win at everything that they do. Um, it's, it's just that nature of being competitive. Kids in the playground will have a sprinting race against their mates that's, you know, that they want to win. Um, they, they get upset if they lose. So th- those things are no different. That's a natural human instinct for me. So when they go and play, they're, they're going to walk onto that park and always want to win. Um, I suppose then it's how we manifest our behaviours to, I suppose, teach people to be good winners, good losers, um, and make it more of that social um, aspect of understanding that that's part of life. Um, now, couple that into the sporting context, then you might have a certain way and philosophy of playing that you want to embed, that you want people to to learn because that's how you want the game to be played. So you've then got to decide if you win at the cost of that philosophy, are you happy? Um, are you not happy? Do you define that as success because it's you know you've got the three points or the win? Um, even though you haven't played the way that your game style wants to represent or how you've how you've wanted to win. Um, so I suppose it's then balancing off those aspects with regards your own perception on success. And again, it's whether or not the players and your club and your philosophy buy into those aspects. Mm. No, that's great. I appreciate that. I, one thing I've spoke to coaches about in the past, I guess around that, that winning element like you said don't be scared of it maybe the coach's role might be to focus slightly <coughs> more on the, the steps or the process towards it so I I, I, speak yeah, about, I speak about intention over outcome so if you're talking to your team if they're 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go are the players yeah. trying to take more risks or quick free kicks or fast throw-ins things like that that might give you more chance of winning or getting back in the game so as a coach maybe not just the the outcome, the steps towards it. That that could be the coach's focus, even in a competitive, yeah, environment. I suppose. No, Matt, I totally agree with that. that. That aspect there is is about managing the game. That's something that I think um, definitely should be learned when the game becomes nine v nine, moving into that eleven v eleven, because it's it's about understanding how you can become more competitive, how you can manage uh, tempos and games and and scenarios within it. Um, and that's part of the game as you develop is that something that I would uh, encourage people that are first starting the game no they should just they should just play with with freeness and and like I say they if if they find their own ways take more risks that's absolutely fine but again it's that environmental context of, of the reasons why they're there in the first place I think what you're talking about there is when people are in more of a uh, a formalized uh, coaching environment they've probably played within a team for a little while and they've actually decided that yeah Football is a sport that I, I participate in as a team, not just necessarily for fun and running around and fitness. Become that almost like that next stage up of seriousness for me. You know what I mean? They've they've established it as a, as a sport that they want to learn the tactical aspects as well as um, the technical aspects and, and just the friendliness and social bits of it. Yeah, brilliant. Appreciate that, mate. So, so on a match day, then here's a, here's a question: Can you spoke earlier around it being another training session or another session almost, especially in young hmm. ages. So can coaches yeah. still coach on a match day? And and how might sort of interventions or, or actions look like um, on a match day for, from a coaching perspective? 
Oh, for sure. Listen, like I say, if it has to be viewed as uh, a, a, an opportunity to support learning. Um, first and foremost, is I always say to a lot of people is I see lots of coaches and the work that I've done as, as a tutor and working through people with their awards, both in grassroots and the elite game and the women's game. And I look at it and, I, and they'll plan intensely around training sessions. But then match day, probably the only element of planning that they'll do is around maybe starting lineups, rotation of people so they get equal minutes and maybe some sort of set pieces and learning objectives. And my question is, well, you wouldn't just have that little detail when you go into your training session. So it will be a case of for me that I think you need to plan as in-depthly on your training if you have the time to do so as you do on your matches. Because, you know, there's there's 90 minutes or 80 minutes or 60 minutes or, or 30 minutes of a game that you, the players will be involved in. And each of those segments will have potential different outcomes. You're, the, the task will be very easy. The task will be very difficult or it will be balanced. And what, what are you wanting to achieve? What are the learning objectives that you're carrying over from training? the individual learning objectives for players, what are their wants. It's so complex, the layers that you could go into depth on, but I don't think people spend enough time. They tend to just turn up and see what happens. Um, and most of the time, yeah, that's nice, but you, you've got to have a plan when something does happen, what are you going to do about it? So it's the what ifs. You know, I remember um, when I was working uh, at Chelsea, I was managed um, to get a bit of an insight into into the work that Jose did when he first came in. Um and his level of planning was broken down into 10-minute sections of, of games um, of, of what they wanted to happen, what could happen, and what's the worst-case scenario type stuff that could happen. So they, they thought around each of the sort of the segments in 10 minutes uh, and ultimately discussed and planned around it. Now, as a young coach at sort of 22, 23 years old, that was massively influential on me of thinking, crikey, that's all right, that's at the very, very top end. But there's lots of things that I thought, well, that's just good attention to detail for me. So that was heavily influential on on me very early on my match day stuff that actually it's, it's as important as training and, and therefore you have to carry forward whatever level of planning is appropriate to the level and the environment and the philosophy that you're working towards. Oh, brilliant. So what 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 about kind of if you if coaches are are then doing doing that level of planning and, and thinking about the match day in more detail, what Mm. what or how might those that coaching manifest in open play what about interventions how how would you advise coaches to to quote unquote to coach during a game when it's quite a different environment to a to a, a training session you can't just stop it and and make your points or pull players out I, no, I well, well, you, you can but well my, my yeah so my question is why not yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if that's if that's what you think is um is what's required or what's needed, then then do it. Um, there, there'll be lots of times that I've um, pulled a player to the side um, just to sort of help him. Because you think about it, when you're running around, Lee, one of the hardest things for you to do is to concentrate on more than one thing. So one of the first things that I'd ask all coaches to do is, is ask their players how they would prefer to receive the feedback. Because um, automatically on a, on a match day, we'll shout from the side. Now, some of your players might not A, want that, be able to listen to it or C, be able to cope with it. Um, it might go in one ear and out the other. So I'd always make sure that coaches knew all of their players, how they prefer to receive the feedback. Because if I was working with you, Lee, and then you said to me, do you know what? You know when you shout on, I can't understand a word you say. I can't listen to you because I'm involved in the game. Um, so 
you know straight away then if there's a piece of information that you want to get across to to you then it's better to do it either pull you to the side or wait until sort of it's half time or something you know what i mean that's a little bit um more of a downtime so that you can what i call plant roots your feet are still and you can focus other players can take that information on not a problem so straight away it's understanding the individual the second thing i would say to coaches is what we've done a lot of work is with with yourself at west brom lee and you'll you'll know the stuff that we've done via the head of coaching piece that i'm really keen on coaches understanding themselves and obviously we map communication quite intensely around what we call the heat maps isn't it um, so you understand what type of coaching interventions you do. It's broken down to um, context. So how do you communicate when you're winning, when you're losing, around error, around praise, um, you know, at different times of, of the game. So what your, what your coaching behaviours in the first 20 minutes, the second 20 minutes, the third 20 minutes, the first half, the second half, whatever that might be that you break your, your work around. Um, and I think if you start to look at that, you'll start to understand what your coaching brand is firstly. If you then communicate and ask your players about how they prefer to receive feedback, you then marry that up to whatever your success criteria are of what your environment and your your context that you're working within of what success looks like. What you've now got is a, is a map of data and that you're more rich, that you can start to plan appropriately. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And you can then start to to make more informed professional judgments on how you interact with the players to get the maximum output that you possibly can from that weekend. And, and again, I'll throw the parents into that. Parents are still there. And what you don't want is you don't want sterile environments. You want people to celebrate. You want people to praise. Um, some parents at grass, I mean, we're really fortunate at Academy Football, obviously, Lee, that the parents won't shout information on. But that's not the case for, for the large majority of coaches. They're, they're having to deal with managing the sideline as well as managing the pitch. So it's bring those people into it. If you had certain key buzzwords or stuff, or like I said before, if you're communicating to parents what success looks like or what you're carrying over from the training week and they've got a certain vocabulary that you want reinforcing, then those messages can come from certain areas. So again, it's just making sure that you have clarity within your planner of what is uh, deemed a success and, and what you want to achieve and therefore all the, the tools at your disposal to achieve that. Yeah, no, I think... One thing I took from from obviously conversations that you and I had, and and I think when you you came and presented on one of the one of the first physical coffee clubs around was yeah. around self awareness um, and and sort of what happens on a match day. I know mm -hmm. speaking to a friend of mine, Matt Matt um, came to that event, and since he has mic mic'd himself up. Matt works yeah. with an uh, under-10s grassroots team now and uh, he's, oh, he marked himself up just to listen back to some trends and actually yeah. the conversation that we had, it was fascinating for him to, to spot um, either buzzwords he used or, or nervous ticks or just the quality of the information, who it was directed at, all the little things that even as, as a grassroots coach with limited resources, he was able to stick his iPhone in the pocket click the voice notes and then just listen back at a later date. And actually the, the, the feedback that he was able to gain from his own, his own performance has, has transformed how he operates on a match day. So uh, I think that self-awareness is, is massive. I really do. I, th I think you're totally right. The, the level of technology that people have now within their smartphones and business pieces is it's, it's easy to, Oh, it takes a little bit of time to do it. But if you've got that um, passion around trying to develop and, and, and to improve yourself, then that time's well spent for me. Now, we're, we're really fortunate that the resources that we have and the depth that we can go into when I work with the academy coaches. 
But if you just strip it back, you can you can get parents to do simple hand notation on you. You know, do you do most of your communication before action? Do you do most communication after action? You know, are you focused more around communicating to individuals, units or teams? You know, all of those little bits can just be done on a tally chart. You know, and listen, it's, it's never, I will say this to people, even the heat maps that we go into with the analysts and, and the coding that we do, it's only ever going to be around about 90% accurate because there's always that interpretation of what someone's perceiving as, as the communication that you're giving. But it's not about being 100% right. It's about giving you insight into yeah. how you're using your, your, your tools in order to impact on the environment that you yeah. want to get what you want from it. That, that's exactly it. I, I, I copied your idea, if I'll be honest, when, when in a previous role, just did some, some basic analysis of where coaches sent information onto the pitch. And the natural trend that came up was, for example, whatever side the coaches were stood mm. within a 20 or 30 yard area in front of them was where 80% of their interventions went. So <laughs> yeah. we found that at the time playing three 30 minute periods, the left back was in front of the coach for 60 minutes and got a massive number of of instructions, feedback, into however it might be, compared to, say, the right winger who maybe got one. And now that we had a conversation, it's not necessarily to change that, but just to be aware of it, so that maybe next, next time you play at home, kick the other way and alternate games just so that the right-back gets 60 minutes. So it's okay to know your trend or your bias, but... 100%. But sometimes, yeah, it might be worth changing, but other times it's like, again, this conversation with Matt, Matt found some stuff he really, really was pleased with what he was doing so okay just keep doing it, it not necessarily yeah. looking I think just having that awareness and knowing like you say what what do I actually do and and, and how do I just be aware of it and, and either change what needs to or just just make allowances for it is absolutely fine yeah of course I mean one of the things that really gets me across as a coach developer Lee is having having been through a, a coach education system um, from, from when I was uh, going through my badges when I was a younger uh, coach to, to what it is now, you've seen evolutions in coaching styles and research and, and how people are supposed to approach things and what the, I suppose that the current trend is. And what makes me cross is people will, we've almost like swung the pendulum a little bit away from command coaching, like it used to be potentially uh, as being a bad thing. It's not, it's about understanding what you are um, too much of one thing. And I always say it to, a, to I know you laugh when I say it, but, I try and define it as a game of seesaw. Seesaw is, is not a very nice game or a crap game if you play it on your own. And that's <laughs> yeah. no different from um, your coaching styles. If you are all one command, then that's okay. But you've got to understand that the person receiving that, it might not be a great game. So you have to then provide them the opportunity to play the seesaw game with you. And what does that look like to tip it the other way? So just understanding what you are. So a command coach or an overly dominated command coach doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing flip the coin and over trial and error coach where the ball chucks it in and crack on with it is, is equally tipping the seesaw the other way. So it's trying to find that balance. It's trying to make sure you understand who you are and what your preferences are. And, and sometimes not only trying to try different things, but also maybe if you recognize the fact that your command is a really powerful tool, but overused can become negative. Same with trial and error. Just limit yourself, you know, so it's, it's those things. It's just that real self-awareness, speaking to your players, speaking to your parents, having clarity of what people want to achieve in that session. That's the piece that will help you better make informed decisions with your communication around a match day 
to get the best outcome that you can possibly have on that day. Superb. So <clears throat> we've spoke a little bit around focuses for match day and, and interventions and planning and et cetera, et cetera, markers of success. Um, there's something that's quite common and, and probably more associated with the match day <coughs> as opposed to training is mm. is emotions and the highs and lows yeah. and the swings and roundabouts of, of a single game. So do you have mm. tips or advice on how coaches can avoid emotional hijacking or getting carried away with certain aspects of the game and, and remain in the role of coach or developer? Yeah, that's really hard because I think we're, we would all admit, me, myself, that yeah, you, you're involved in the game because you're emotionally attached to the game. Um, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong in that. I think it's like most things, it's, it's passion. As long as it's not perceived by the person receiving it as negative, then... It's, it's, it's again, it's built around the relationships. I often say to people that first meet me, when I, when I raise my voice, it sounds like I'm shouting and it's, it sounds quite aggressive. So I, I understand the tonality of my voice. That's just, it's not me. It's just when I get excited, that's how my voice sounds when it goes loud. So firstly, there's understanding um, how your emotions come across and how they're perceived. Um, so a good way of that is filming yourself or asking someone, you know, what it looks like because what you define as excitement, someone might, feel is quite intimidating you know what I mean so firstly it's understanding that self-awareness piece uh, the next bit is is accept it because it's going to happen um, so you've got to then got to put, do it's like most things if you understand yourself you can put control mechanisms and strategies in place to best utilize it so um, I I'm, I'm a big fan of a, a thing called a filter coach so um, within academies over the years and in grassroots, I've often seen that there's more than one person standing on the side. And obviously, within academy football, you have to have that now. You have to have the two coaches. So we're rich on resource. So we've got two sets of eyes and two sets of ears and two mouths. So we've got a massive amount of opportunity to impact and influence the, the young players that are in front of us. So what I try and encourage people to do, and I know in the past people have done in possession, out of possession, all those types of bits. And I often find that when I've, I've um, worked with coaches, what do you tend to do, Lee? You tend to watch the ball, don't you? You tend, to, you tend to be involved in the game because that's the natural instinct. So actually, if you're trying to define yourself as an in-possession, out-possession coach, you're missing stuff anyway. So what I try and do is I, we get people to detach, and this is what the filter is. Um, if you've only got one voice going on out of the two people, it becomes less confusing. The players can tune into the voice that they need to tune into, um, first and foremost. So what we tend to do is if I was working with you, Lee, and I said, right, okay, Lee, I'm the filter coach and you're the lead coach, or I call like the, the momentum coach of the game. If you're the momentum coach, you're involved in the emotions. You're the one that's going to communicate both in possession, out possession, learning objectives, praise, everything. So you're the voice that's there. I'm going to be slightly detached. I'm going to be maybe a yard back from you. And my job will be to look specifically for some of the success criteria that we've looked for. Or I might be looking for things that maybe you're missing. So there might be something that you've praised the goal, if you like, but missed the person that made the pass. So I would see that and I would praise the pass. Does that make sense? Um, I would also be looking at maybe, say we've got maybe two learning objectives for, for the game, one in possession, one out of possession. When that game's going on and we're getting ready for the halftime team talk or the end of period team talk, I'll be making my notes on things that I'm seeing. And then what I'll do is I'll bounce that through you, hence the filter. I might come up to you and say, Lee, have you noticed that you know that there's a consistency of a 2v1 on that far side? And you might have noticed it, 
but the reason why I mention it to you is because you haven't said anything about it yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, yeah. so we can then bounce off each other and go, to be fair, Ryan, that's a really good point. I haven't seen that. Fantastic. You can then choose whether or not you articulate that there and then or whether it's not something we carry forward for when the players are, have planted their, their roots, as I call it, and they're standing still and they're tuned into us. So it's that opportunity to have some specific roles on the game so that actually you both don't get caught into the momentum piece. Because when you get both get caught into that momentum piece, that's when the emotional hijacking can occur more and you might see less or miss things. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, I love that. That's great. What, what, what then... Um... What about some of our coaches who might work alone? Have you got any strategies or tips that, that they could use to, to sort of stay on track or, or revert to, to pre-planning rather than getting carried away in the emotion of the game? Yeah, you've got subs, haven't you? You've got players that stay on the side, make them your assistant coach. There's, there's always more than one set of eyes that are available. Uh, if you haven't got that capacity as an assistant coach or in grassroots a parent that might help you, that you can put on a rotor, you, you've always got subs. Now, listen, you can then turn and say, well, what have I got no subs and bits and pieces? Well, if you haven't, you haven't. You have to be that momentum coach and maybe try and work um, yourself, but then maybe have periods that I call um, your filter line. So sometimes if you stand on the touchline, you'll be there. Take five yards back and that, and then become the filter coach so you're not the, the shouty coach. Does that make sense? Yeah, so yeah. Go, and, go and take both roles if you have to. But again, you're putting control mechanisms in in order to... Um, specifically action a certain type of behaviour that you want to achieve. But I, I often think that you'll be able to have a filter coach. And what a great way to get some of the young players involved as, as an assistant coach on the sideline and give them certain things to look for and communicate to you. That's a great piece of learning. Mm-hmm. If they're observing the game from a specific uh, viewpoint, that's, that's as beneficial learning. So when they step on the pitch, they've already had an insight into the game as well around certain aspects that they've been looking for. No, I love that. Last one around sort of match day. I know we could we could chat all day on this, um, but what in in your opinion should pre, mid, and post match look like or consist of? Um, I guess that may differ depending on on resources, time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you got any tips for maybe a warm up or a lead into a game or or sort of half time? What what are your views and feelings on that? Well, straight away, a warm-up for me is is another opportunity uh, of a coaching session. Um, so, so again, it's all down to your facilities and the time and how, how much access you've got and size and space and stuff. But I, I would always be carrying it through. So if my theme was passing, leading into a match day, because that's the curriculum we've been working on, then I would do that. Um, I'd always make sure that you have your physical preparation bits and pieces put in place so players are mentally and physically ready to participate. Um, but make it fun, but try and get the ball involved. Um, but try and have continuation of learning from your from your training into your match day. That's what I would say a warm-up would be. Um, obviously, your match day stuff, uh, the inaction bits and pieces, like we've, we've sort of unpacked that already. Um, but my debrief periods, um, depending on the age and stage of learning and the capacity for the players to absorb the information, the maximum I would do is three points. Um, younger age groups I'd maybe do one or two um, but maximum I would try and get my information concisely into three areas um, because I just don't think people can take on much more information than that in a short space of time um, I wouldn't necessarily fill the whole time with me talking I'd give a period of reflection a bit of contemplation some ability for the players what I call um, I don't call them um, drinks breaks though I call them discussion breaks 
where you rehydrate yourself. So while players are initially taking some fluids on board, allow them to discuss, allow them to unpack their thoughts and feelings amongst themselves, with you, whatever that might be. And that gives you time with your filter coach to just cons- like consolidate your thoughts a little bit. There might be 15 things that you've noticed, but what are the most important three things that you want to carry forward? How do they link to what success looks like today? Um, and where possible, this is just my personality, I, I try and keep it relatively positive. You know, I- I'm a big believer in you can't change what's just happened. Um, you can reflect on it, but what are you going to do to improve that aspect? Highlight a positive and then move into the area that we're going to do to improve and then obviously then finish with that positive. So, because at the end of the day, people aren't going to go back out on the pitch and perform well if, you've, if, if they're negative or they're down on themselves, are they? So whether you win, losing or drawing, for me, I, I try and um, work with those areas. Areas of improvement, but you can pitch it in a way that, that's um, enabling a little bit of energy to put into the system to go back out and action it. And, and would, that, would that be uh, in a group setting or individual, right? Um, again, it's down to wants and needs. So say, for example, now, me as the filter coach, I should take the team debrief, whether it's an end of period or half time. Why? Because I'm the one that's been detached. So I should be the one that's more calm. You might be emotionally strung if we're losing 2-0 or we're 3-0 up. I've been the one that's been able to take my notes. Me and you would discuss what the three things are. Now, what I might then do if I'm leading um, a group aspect is you might pull maybe two, three individuals or one individual and talk about some specifics linked to their individualized learning or some things specifically that you want to be uh, done on a one-to-one basis. Because again, you've got that opportunity with the two of you to um, split off different ways of feeding back and communicating. Yeah, love it. Brilliant. No, I appreciate those insights, mate. That's, um, that's been, been fascinating to, to listen to. So just, just moving on, I've got a couple of extra questions. Um, more, more, more so around Ryan as, as the coach developer, the coach, but what, yeah. Well, I guess what what has been your biggest lesson to date? Uh, the importance of planning and reflection. I was very much um, thinking that listen, on the grass is where the action happens. Um, but over the years, the more and more I've um, developed and grown and and seen lots of different sports, lots of different players, and and that that experiential learning that you do, and um, the importance of planning and reflection for me, they have to be deemed. They're the areas that you often get um, nibbled by time, um, but you can't find the excuses. If you're going to develop and you're going to maximize it, it's making sure that you invest the time to plan appropriately and reflect appropriately to, because obviously your reflection is the front end of your next set of planning. So I found I got better on the grass when I invested more time in that planning and reflection. Yeah, I love that. And um, Ryan May, what do you look for or value in players? Not necessarily the clubs or the associations you work with, but what do you do? You really value or try to develop or instill in in young players? Uh, work ethic. Um, I'm a huge believer in 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 hard work. Um, I, I quite like a nice personality. Um, and what I mean by personality is 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 someone that can. Got, you don't have to be uh, a loud type, extrovert type player. You can be an introvert, but you've got a strong belief in yourself. You try things and you don't you don't give up on stuff. You've got that good ability to absorb learning. Um, that, I find, if you've, if you've got those ingredients in someone, then you and the, the player will have a wonderful relationship and you can move it forwards. Um, 
personally players I love being an attacking player I like sort of bums on the edge of seat players the ones that can do things off the cuff that excite you um, the, the players that are unpredictable Th- those types of players that can have that little bit of cheekiness that little bit I love that I really yeah. do yeah well, that's why that's why people pay money to go and watch football isn't it 100% yeah yeah um, that's not it's not saying that defenders that just do things simply aren't aren't good players but my personal thing I would I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily pay to go and watch a centre back but I would go and pay to watch a Messi or a Ronaldo yeah no I like that um, where do you see the game going <laughs> um, wow big question um, yeah what are the trends that you think might come back around or, or come to fruition where where do you see it heading the game's obviously got quicker and quicker and quicker, isn't it? With the, with the physical capacity and the advances in technology and sports science and medicine and bits and pieces. At some point, I can't. there's got to be an element now of where that comes to an end. The game can't continually to keep getting quicker. Um, so I, I think you'll start to see for me that the tipping point of the tactical aspects that maybe bring, everything's cyclical, isn't it? You know, you, the game evolves and, and trends repeat themselves. Um, but I, I just feel that at some point, the game will have to then start to become a thinking person's game at the tempo that's required. Because at the minute, I think it's a little bit foot to the floorboard um, of people just, everything has to be quick. Everything has to be fast. Everything has to be at a real physical high intensity. Um, and I think you might start to see a little bit of an evolution into a, more of a thinking man's game and, and some tactical aspects coming in to, to overcome that. Yeah, like that. Tell, if you don't mind, I know I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. Tell us a little bit about um, some of the things that and I was fortunate enough to watch you deliver something to some players recently around rule changes just tell us quickly what your thoughts were around how that might um, you might see a change in attacking style or individual 1v1 stuff especially with the new penalty rule I found that quite fascinating some of the stuff yeah shared. well I, I think a lot of it it's um, it was fascinating wasn't it because the players hadn't really thought of it Um and I was looking at it thinking, well, I'm old enough to be part of some significant rule changes, i.e. The, the back pass rule, the four-step goalkeeper rule, um, the back pass from the throw-ins. Um, th- those types of aspects massively changed how the, the way the game was played. Um, and that influenced then how I played the game because I, I maybe couldn't get myself out of trouble by pulling it back to my goalkeeper. I had to find a way of, of protecting it and changing it. So ball protection became far more um, important where I received it, the, the ability to scan. So those aspects had to add some advancements to the game. And I think now with the handball rule of it being in an unnatural position in inverted commas, that's still yet to be defined on what unnatural is. So like I was saying to the boys, and we, we got them to come up with ideas, didn't we? But if I was a 1v1 dribbler now and I got inside the box, I'd be looking to, when I'm doing my scissor move, maybe lift the ball over his hand or up into his hand to get a penalty. Um because until the rule is defined, you're looking for ways to exploit and take advantage of, of the environment and context that you're in. And I think players, especially if you're an attacking player, um, how do you exploit those? And as defenders then, we flipped it, didn't we? How do I then defend against someone that might be trying to um, potentially gain an advantage or be deceptive, not deceptful, but you know what I mean? By, by trying to maybe defend. So we spoke about some of the players that put your arms behind your back. And I'm like, well, does that put you off balance does that give you a fantastic opportunity to get inside the radar and defend 1v1 uh, appropriately so all of those rule changes have knock-on effects to technique to skill to tactics and I think it's really important for players to then think about what this 
evolves towards and what those rule changes have as a ripple effect into how the game's played and how people might attack or, or how you defend against it. Yeah, Fascinating yeah, for me. It's but really exciting, I, I think yeah. it's massive. It's a massive change in their lives that they might not realise until, you know, they get old like me and you. <laughs> Older like you, you mean. <laughs> um, so last one then before we go into our infamous quick fire questions. Um, yeah. Who would, who would you like us like to hear us interview in future episodes? Give us a, give us a couple of names you might like to, to listen to in future episodes. Uh, well, someone that I like having lots of... Um, conversations with is uh, Callum Munaruk who's head of coaching at West West Ham me and, me and Callum are often on the phone um, for our job role specifically to bounce stuff off ideas but you know he, he's someone that I, I love listening to um, and another one again I have regular meetings with Stuart English at Birmingham um, so yeah those two I, I think I enjoy having those conversations with so I'm sure maybe the listeners would um, would enjoy having a, a, a sort of a, a coffee club moment with them yeah, fantastic. No, I appreciate that. I'll uh, we'll definitely look to see if we can get some of those guys involved in in the near future. So um, the the, just... o- the other guy, non football lead that I would I would throw in is my mentor, um, which is Gordon Lord. Okay. No, that uh, obviously be with his with his really cricket and rugby background. You know, um, Lord, as we call him, he, he brings a, a vast wealth of experience as a coach developer and. Well, his knowledge is unbelievable. So, um, again, depending if you want to take it away from your football team, really. But he's uh, another man that, crikey, I, I can't wait to pick up the phone to and have conversations with. No, brilliant. Yeah, Coach's Coffee Club is, is about coach development. So I'm sure we can uh, we can branch out into other realms. I'm not sure I'd be able to add much value to cricket or, or whatever, but maybe uh, we'll see what happens. So um, I appreciate that. That's great. So here's a, here's a couple. Um I'm sure you've uh, you've listened to the other episodes, so you'll know what's coming. Um, yeah, we'll finish with the contentious one. But to start with, um, and again, disclaimer: these are Ryan May's opinions and Ryan May's opinions only. Nothing to do with his employers or or anything above yeah. above that. But who, in your opinion, Ryan, is the best ever Premier League player, and why? Remember, it's uh, quick fire. Ronaldo. Uh, reason. Um, I think he found a way to adapt. He found different ways and brought new techniques and took the game forward. It was a, it was a, a bum off seat player for you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, who would be? Uh, you, who did you? What was your best or favourite ever Premier League team to watch? What era and why? What was it about them? Uh, the Man United of the nineties, purely and simply because of the intimidation that they brought, uh, the ability to have a balanced game style, um, and obviously winning the treble is uh, still a feat yet to be surpassed. Yeah, they're, um, they've been featured on every episode, I think, that group. So, uh, starting to see a trend there. What about uh, coach or manager? Who's your favourite or, in your opinion, the best coach or manager of all time? Uh, Sir Bobby Robson. And what was it about uh, Sir Bobby that, that you think that? To, to have the ability to go across many different countries, um, to grow through different game styles to have to evolve across different decades but also to have done it in the international arena uh, I, I just think the man's management style his tactical understanding it, he's just proven isn't it you know he's he, everywhere he went he had success even with not necessarily um, the teams that had the money you know some of the stuff he did with Ipswich and your Newcastles they weren't the biggest teams of, of the generation with money but he still managed to pull together teams that, that produced uh, so that's why, for me, he would go slightly ahead of people like Guardiola and Mourinho and Sir Alex. 
No, fantastic. So you're picking a team of uh, anyone you like, but what player would, would get in that team that you think might go under the radar that not many people would pick, but, but you think, oh, I've got to have him in my group? What I'm position? Entirely up to you. So if you've got one player that, that you'd want, I guess you might call him underrated, but where actually you value and think, no, I couldn't be without that player. Who do you think that might be? Oh, wow. That's a really tough question, Lee. I would probably have to say someone like uh, a Paul Ince type midfielder. Yeah, what was it about him that that you think was overlooked? Well, I think a lot of the time it's, it's who you play with, isn't it? So he would have played in midfield with your Brian Robson's, your Paul Scholes's and stuff. So there's other players in and around you that are necessarily deemed as, as more elite. But I think sometimes, listen, he was a box-to-box midfielder. Um, he had great ability, great range of pass. He weighed in with goals. His, his awareness to, to break up play and bits and pieces. For me, he was a very complete midfielder that was maybe overshadowed uh, in the teams that he played in. But if you look at his success, when he went to Liverpool, he did exactly the same thing within their midfield with some real superstars with the Red Naps and bits and pieces. So yeah, he was a real... Um, he did indeed, yeah. So uh, for me, he was a player that... Yeah, so he was England, Inter Milan. You cheeky sod. Um, <laughs> but, but a player like that for me was someone that I thought as a generation maybe didn't get the recognition um, that yeah, I, I yeah. thought as, as a player that I... I listen, I, I liked watching him and I think he did... Uh, Maybe flew under the radar a tiny little bit. Fantastic. Speaking of picking teams, last one then. What would your all-time England eleven be? Uh, Shilton in goal. Uh, Ferdinand and Tony Adams as my centre-backs. Uh, I'd have Alexander-Arnold as my right-back. I, I really like what he's doing at the minute. Uh, still yet to produce, but uh, he'd be there. Um, I'd probably have Piercy at left-back. Um, in my midfield this is tough uh, <laughs> but I'd probably have Wilkins Robson and Gascoigne um, Hoddle should have appeared in there somewhere but he was just he was just a little bit tough to fit in uh, <laughs> up front I would have Shearer um, McManaman on one side and then the left-hand side would be tough. I'd have Sterling. Well, that's not that's not a bad side, to be fair. You've gone, uh, you've you've preceded a few of the a few of the previous teams with your with your picks, but no doubt a very strong team there. Um, fantastic, mate. Listen, that's uh, unfortunately all we got time for. Um, so I really appreciate your time. I'm sure, I've no doubt the the listeners will will, will find. Uh, plenty of uh, golden nuggets from that um, so especially taking into into their next match day so hopefully those that listen share your thoughts um, give the, give some of these strategies a go um, but again Ryan really appreciate your time today wish you all the best Pleasure. in your new venture thank you mate appreciate that um, alright guys out there again like I mentioned at the start if you're a player looking to um, get some extra exposure find a new club share your talent get onto pitch.rmt.com if you're a coach any level um, it's a great opportunity to to look at uh, up and coming talent or or get your eyes on more players so again www.pitchrmt.com continue to share the podcast we really appreciate it 
those reviews are really important so if you get a couple of minutes jump on itunes five star it if you if you think it's worth it which personally i do leave us a comment um again ryan really appreciate that mate thanks again have a good day thank you very much mate see you guys soon